Hear the word of the Lord. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Thanks, John. All right. Well, good morning, Flourishing Grace. My name is Josh Gardner. I'm the minister to students here, if, if we haven't met. Uh, glad to see you. I'd love to meet you after. Um, super excited about continuing our series, uh, Kingdom Wisdom, with you guys. Um, and this morning, I'm especially excited because uh, we're going to be talking about something that's really near and dear uh, to my heart um, as followers of Jesus. Um, like I said, I'm the minister to students here. And um, today, we're, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, and the reason why it's so near and dear to my heart is because that's kind of the whole reason and the whole kind of how we run our student ministry here, is we want our students to not just show up, not just be around, but actually be discipled in the way of Jesus. And um, if you remember, if you were here this summer um, for this series, I started off this uh, Kingdom Wisdom series. Um, and in that, I shared with you guys, just my personal hope for us this summer. Like John said, it's been a, it's been a great summer for me personally, uh, going through the Proverbs and really seeing what God has for us in his kingdom, this wisdom that he freely gives to us. But um, also, uh, I said that my hope, my hope for us is that this summer we would not just like gleam some wisdom and like tuck it away or use it and be like, oh, cool, like that's great. And our lives are better off for it, and we kind of just move on. But that through the wisdom that we see in Scripture, that God would, by his Holy Spirit, transform our hearts to make us more like Jesus. Like John King talks about how we, in, uh, in pursuing God, we have to have a purpose in that. The pursuit, the pursuit of God, uh, our purpose is Christ-likeness and for others to know Christ, too. And so... I believe that in, um, as we see in this proverb and all throughout the Proverbs, and really the Proverbs in itself are a father discipling his son, a father bringing his son along and saying, uh, look at all of the pitfalls of my life. If you know Solomon, Solomon had a lot of problems, a lot of issues, or a lot of things that he pursued uh, that fell flat, right? And he's saying to his son, don't pursue these things, but pursue these things. And so today we're going to talk about those things. Um, but I really do think that discipleship in itself actually uh, moves us forward uh, through and in God's wisdom and draws us near to himself. And so here's what I want to say. If this summer you've been here, but you feel kind of like you at the beginning of the summer isn't really much different than at the beginning of the summer, um, this might be, I'm not saying it's a magic bullet, but I'm saying this might be a missing piece, a piece that you're missing. Um, a piece that you're missing in it. Because discipleship is this. Um, there's a book by uh, Greg Ogden. I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. I actually have it here, um, too, where he, he just dives into what discipleship is. Um, and I want to read his definition of uh, what it means to be, uh, who is a disciple. That's what he says here. He says this, A disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self and allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. Here's the reality. God's, Jesus' call on our lives to come and follow him 
is a call to say, an initial call to say, die to yourself. I have done everything so that you could be in a relationship with God. I have died for your sins. I've rose from the dead. And I, I'm the only one that can do this. You can't do this. I can only do it because I am God. This is what Jesus says to us. So, so come and follow me. But then the call to follow Jesus and believe in him is now uh, you, you are saved. You're brought into the kingdom of God. You're brought into the family of God. And now the rest of your life... Uh, you are saved, you're secured in God, but now it's dying to yourself and allowing God, allowing Jesus to come alive in you for him to rip out the things in your life of your past, of your old self, and sow in new things, right? To sow in new things. But here's the hard part, is what we've done, especially in the West, what we've done is we've chalked up Christianity to being uh, that you maybe you go to church or that you read your Bible occasionally or you do certain things that a Christian does. Or we've even done worse where we've, we've become followers of Jesus but we kind of sprinkle Jesus on our lives instead of ripping everything out and denying ourselves and saying, no, Jesus is supreme and I'm gonna follow him no matter what. And I think that's why a lot of us are probably experiencing some boredom in our relationship with Jesus or experiencing lack of power um, or experiencing a really hard time with sin. Um, and all of this, I think, is because we are, we're not really under discipleship to Jesus. We're just kind of, uh, you know, meeting with him every once in a while. When Jesus calls his disciples in Luke 9, when he calls the people in, in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, daily and follow me. There's a cost to following Jesus. It's denying ourselves. It's taking up our cross. And the reason why we can do that is because we know what Jesus has done. We know who Jesus is, that he is worth that. He's done everything for us. And so maybe some of you are experiencing that lack of just power, maybe boredom, maybe just confusion your relationship with Jesus. And my call to you, my hope for you is that you would see all throughout scripture that we see this theme of God bringing us into a discipleship relationship with him and with each other that actually grows us closer and closer to him. I actually think that discipleship is the way in which Jesus calls us to walk, or calls us into walking in the ways of his wisdom. So yes, we can. We can gleam certain wisdom here and there. And honestly, you'll probably see fruit in your life if you just do what God says. I mean, we see this in our society. Some people, when they do the things that God says in his word, there's, there's fruit in there. But it's not what God has for us in our purpose. And we don't, it doesn't last either. And so, um, the, the, uh, so the, the sentence that kind of changed my life in this was in college. Um, in college, I was my college pastor. Um, he basically said to me and to a group of us uh, guys, we would meet at his uh, at his apartment at like 6 a.m. for a Bible study, and we were all like half asleep, and we're college students, so it's just you know we were up till two um, doing something dumb, and then we come to his house and we're over to the Bible, and I remember him saying to us, "To be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. There is no separation of these things." And then he started opening up. God's word, and he started showing us what Jesus says over and over again, and what the disciples do, and what Paul was doing, and all these different things. He's like, see, 
Like if you look all throughout scripture, discipleship is what we're called into. Not believing in Jesus, not, not just believing in belief, not religion, not moralistic good works, but discipleship, submitting ourselves to the authority of Jesus. And that's what changed my life. That's what changed my life. Um, and, and as we kind of kept going through this, he was talking to us about how, and, and this is so true for us, that um, if we aren't asking Jesus to disciple us, if we aren't putting ourselves at the feet of Jesus, we're being discipled by something in our lives. Whether we know it or not, we're being discipled by something. And I have a great example, and I hope this, this helps you. When, I, when uh, I worked at a church in Texas, we went to camp at Estes Park, actually where we went to camp this year. Um, and me and the student pastor are uh, standing there, and we're watching at a distance our high school guys. Um, and, you know, if you've been around high school guys, you know that you give them a couple minutes by themselves, and they're into something dumb, Okay. Um, and what they're doing is they're grabbing each other's shoulders or backpack straps, and they're just doing this, like pushing each other to the ground, like just, just ripping each other down and trying to, basically trying to get people flat on their back as, as quick as they can. They're doing this to each other. And we're at a distance. We're like, they're not hurting each other, and we're laughing, okay? And we're laughing at them. But this is the funny part, is then we look about 30 feet to the right, 40 feet to the right, just far enough away, and the middle school student, the middle school guys are like looking at them. They're like, oh, yeah. You can start to see this wheels turn, and then they start doing it to each other, too. Because what are they look? They're looking at it, and they're like, that's funny. That's fun. Let's do that. And I remember this, the student pastor, James, he was like, that's discipleship right there. <laughs> you know? Man. Like, what a bummer. <laughs> As, like, the first day at camp, we're like, oof. But, but it stuck out to me because I realized, man, we are, we're discipled by the things around us. A couple weeks ago, if you were here, our executive pastor, Benjamin McVeigh, he, he talked about um, the wise walk of the wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm and talked about how the people around you affect you, right? I always say to students, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I didn't make that up. Uh, some of you know where that's from, but like, like the people that are around you affect you more than you think that you know. And actually we have statistics that show this too the people that you hang out with closely. But it's not just the people. It's also the ideologies, the things that we put in our brains constantly over and over again. Or even if at work or if you've uh, surrounded yourself with people who say uh, something to the effect of like, uh, man, if I climb the corporate ladder and I get to X, then I will be satisfied. And you may not initially start off thinking that way, but if you spend enough time with those people, you begin to believe what they say. Right? You begin to believe that. Or even same thing with like casinos. Like you sit there and like someone over here wins and you keep going because you think, okay, they won, I could win. Right? And we begin to get affected this way. And so Jesus doesn't call us to just sit and listen to a sermon or sit and read our Bibles, but he actually calls us into a relationship with him where now we take every part of our lives and we ask him to do a work in us. Um, and so here's what we see here in this passage. Here's what we see here in this passage. I think that we kind of see how we move from being discipled by the world to being discipled by Jesus in this. And so I want to pull that out for us. So the first thing I want to point out is this, that disciples humble themselves and fear the Lord. Disciples humble themselves and fear the Lord. Now, you've heard this before. Again, if you've been around this summer, 
Fear of the Lord is not a new concept. We've talked about it. And humility, even, it's not a new concept. But here in Proverbs 33, it says, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. It is instruction in wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Again, over and over again, Solomon, he is telling his son here, listen, I've tried to get all the women. I've tried to get all the stuff. I tried to get all the power, all the money, all the things. And none of it was good. None of it was satisfied. Everything, I got it, it was gone. You read Ecclesiastes, that's what he says over and over again. It was gone, it was gone, it was gone. But he says, but if we humble ourselves and we fear the Lord, then there's honor. That's a good and right path. The path of wisdom is a, is a path in which we humble ourselves. Where we look and we're honest with ourselves. So for those of you who are followers of Jesus, like, like you should be able to do this so easily because you know that you needed Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead and you've put everything in him. And so now every day, every day you wake up and you repent, you, throughout your day, you repent of your sin, you, uh, you recognize what you have done wrong, but that Jesus has died for it. That he loves you, that he cares about you, but, but you recognize where you're at. And then you fear and you grow and you cultivate a fear of the Lord. I want to read, it's actually what I said in my first sermon uh, a couple weeks ago, um, but I just want to reread it. This is the fear of the Lord. If you're confused, this is like a confusing concept, which I get for a lot of people. For me too, it was confusing. Um, but it's so beautiful when we understand it. It says, the fear of the Lord is, uh, or this is what I said a couple weeks ago. The fear of the Lord is a reverent awe of God It is an overwhelming wonder before the greatness, power, mercy, kindness, etc. of God. It's also a moral mindset where we say, I am not God, therefore, I do not get to make up my own, or I do not get to make up on my own what is right or wrong. So we humble ourselves before God and we submit to God's definitions. What he says is right and wrong. The fear of the Lord is recognizing that God has created everything, that he is other than me. I went to the Tetons, uh, took my parents up to the Tetons. Uh, like we did a short trip uh, it, there one day, gone the next. Um, but I love the Tetons, one of my favorite places to go. And I love how if you've ever been there, you're driving from Jackson Hole and you drive you know, up these hills and then you come around the corner and poof, they're there. They're beautiful, and they're majestic, and they're mighty. And, and uh, I was thinking about after the fact, man, I, I can't create those, right? That's a dumb, that's obvious, that's an obvious, right? Did anybody think I could create those? Just want to, okay. No, okay, yeah, I can't create those. But just that amount of me looking at going, gosh. And you know what's crazy? Is that those mountains to God are nothing. They're nothing. And God created those. That our God is big and mighty and has made everything seen and unseen. And yet, he chooses to come down and know you and me personally through his son Jesus. That we can have a personal relationship with him. And that causes a fear of the Lord, an awe, a reverence at his glory. And we have to do this every day. Because how easy do we forget? When the hard things come, or when the good things come, how quickly we forget who our God is and what he's done.
The second thing we see, and the second thing we must do, is as disciples seek out reproof and instruction. Hold on, let me fix so I can see. There we go. Um, Verse 31, 32, it says this, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof or correction, put that word in there too, explain a second, life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. This is what God is calling us into, that we should be people who are constantly seeking out correction and reproof and instruction from God. In his word, if you read the Bible and you go, man, God agrees with me on everything, then you aren't reading it. (laughs) I don't know what you're reading. Some crazy, weird version, okay? Um, You aren't reading the Bible because the Bible should offend you. The gospel should offend me because there are things in my life that do not line up with what God has, and God wants to do a work in that. But he calls us to seek out reproof, seek out correction. And not just on our own, not just sitting here with our Bibles. You, of course, yes, you can. You can be convicted by the Spirit in God's Word. But the beauty of it is that when God saves us, he doesn't save us as individuals. Something I say to students all the time is, God doesn't save individuals, he saves a people. God saves us into his kingdom where we are a people of God who, who live together. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Hebrews 13, 3 says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God has given us each other. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you are a temple of the living God. And the beauty of that is the fact that each one of us, the Holy Spirit moves in me to work in you, and you to work in me. This is what he does. Quick story, I don't have time for it, but I'm going to tell you. I, um, I, last semester, I was, uh, I was talking to Benjer, and I was feeling kind of down on myself about helping parents, parenting, and just feeling not great. And um, just kind of talking about, like having a hard time trying to disciple students and help them love Jesus and seeing some just hard things. Um, and we just spent time praying. Um, but then the next day, unbeknownst to her, I won't say her name, but um, one of the moms in our student ministry, she texts me. She said, hey, um, I just listened to a thing that you put out for parents, and I listened to another one, and, and I just want to say I'm, I'm so encouraged and I'm thankful for you because this was helpful for me right in that moment. Um, Benjer didn't tell her. She didn't know what was going on. How, how would she have known that? Right? The Holy Spirit is using her in that moment to minister to me from a distance. Right? And this is what we have in each other. And so my question for us in this, though, is are we actually seeking that out? Are we seeking out reproof? Are we seeking out instruction? Are we seeking out people in our lives who have authority to say things in our lives? Are we, are we, going, uh, are we looking for people, like in our church, who maybe you see someone who's like, man, that man loves his kids so well. So well. Like, I can see Jesus in him, how he loves his kids or how he loves his wife? Like, do we go over to that man and say, hey, 
uh, can you just spend some time with me? Because I feel like I'm, I'm not doing so hot in this. I feel like there are a lot of things that are going on in my life that I just, I, I don't know what to do. Can you speak into it? Can you look in my life? Can we spend time together? And can you, can you speak in and say some hard things to me? We don't ask for that. We kind of just go about it on our own. We don't want to be told the hard things about us, but the beauty of it is when we do, when we seek out instruction, when we seek out reproof, that there's life in that. When I was in college, I, um, <clears throat> I, uh, there was a guy uh, who is probably about 20 years older than me, who he owned a Sonic drive-in in town. Um, by the way, the Sonics in Texas are way better. For those of you who've only been in Sonic in Utah, I'm sorry. Uh, they're terrible here. I actually hate them here. It's kind of weird. I'm sorry if you are connected to Sonic in some way. My bad. Um, but um, this guy owned a Sonic, um, and he helped out in our college ministry. Loved Jesus. Helped out in our college ministry. Owned a Sonic. That's it. Um, and, uh, but he was around enough where I got to spend time. Like I'd go over to his house, hang out with his family. He'd have people over for college students. There were 500 college students, so there were a lot of us. But he would have some students over for dinner with his family sometimes. He would just hang out with us. And over time, I saw, like, they loved Jesus. And so I was just like, hey, man, like, I'm in this time in my life where I'm emotional all the time because I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Um, I'm paying money to go to college and it's something that I may not even want to do now. And I'm, try I'm trying to figure all this junk out trying to figure out what God is saying, and I don't know what to do, but I see you, and I see that you love Jesus. Will you spend time with me? And so we, for the next two years, we got coffee once a week. And he, this, the book that I was talking about, the Greg Ogden book, he, we walked through this, we walked through scripture together, we just walked through it together, walked through what God says, and he said some hard things to me. He said, Josh, I see this in your life. Like, he would open up scripture, and he would, he would flip over to something God, Jesus had commanded, and he said, hey, this is what God commands us to do as followers of Jesus. And then I see the opposite in your life. Here, let's, let's talk through that. Let's figure out what we can do, right? He would do this for me. My hope is that we would all have that. And I'm assuming, I'm guessing that most of us don't. At least statistically, that's how it goes for the church in America. Um, but disciples seek out reproof and instructions. Are you seeking that out among followers of Jesus? Are you asking people to sharpen you? And then lastly, are you, or disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Now, I'll be honest, this isn't directly in this passage. I'm sorry. Um, but I had to add this one because we see it all throughout Scripture. In Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says this, and Jesus, said, or Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the last thing that Matthew records that Jesus says. He says it to his disciples. This is the call for all of, all of us who follow Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. It's not even to make converts. It's not to make good churchgoers. It's not to make good moral people. It's to make disciples of Jesus. And here we see, make disciples starts with baptizing them. So going and sharing the gospel when they believe in Jesus, 
You dunk them, right? You, share, you, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then you teach them everything, or you teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. That you walk with them and show them this is what Jesus has said for us to do. This is what God calls us to. This is who God is, and you walk with them in that. If you remember, the disciples spent three years with Jesus, right? Right? When he ate, they ate. When he prayed, they prayed. When he went here, they went there. They went everywhere with him. They were stuck to him. They clung to him. And this is the kind of thing that God calls us into too, is to make disciples of him by bringing people along with us. Like for instance, I'll give you an example. When um, in Texas, um, I had a student who actually lived like one street away from me. Um, And he would always... Uh, text me and be like, hey, Josh, I just really need to talk through some stuff. I'm having a rough time. And I would say to him all the time, uh, I'd go to Walmart. Uh, my wife's a teacher, so she goes to bed really early. It's like 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock at night, I go to Walmart because it's like dead kind of at 9 o'clock, you know? I try to get there when no one's there. Um, and, and I'd be like, Nathaniel, I'll come pick you up, dude, and we'll go to Walmart. So we go to Walmart. I'm walking around, grab my soap, and he's like, man, and he's like pouring out his heart in the middle of Walmart, and we're just talking through what it looks like to follow Jesus in this. It was just like little bits here and there. It wasn't anything crazy. It was just me talking through what does it look like for him to follow Jesus. Um, And when we break it down, here's what, sorry, I should have read this first, my bad. Uh, When we break it down, here is what discipling someone really looks like. Greg Ogden says it in his book. He says, discipling is an intentional relationship in which we walk alongside other disciples in order to encourage, equip, challenge and challenge one another in love to grow toward maturity in Christ. This includes equipping disciples to teach other disciples. Like the beauty about discipleship is you disciple people and for them to go make disciples, right? And it multiplies. Like it's a multiplication process of God spreading all throughout the area. Mark Dever says this about disciple making. He says, discipling is helping others follow Jesus It is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will look more like Jesus. Here's the reality. Discipleship is, or discipling also is not for the spiritual elite, okay? There is no spiritual elite. We're all called to be followers followers of Jesus. We are are all the same here. We are all called to make disciples and share the gospel. Um, It's not for the paid pastors, it's for all of us. And there's a beauty and a joy and a delight in it to see other people love Jesus um, and for God to use you by his Holy Spirit to, to move in others. Um, and so whether you're a doctor or, or a, a stay-at-home mom or a uh, accountant or whatever you are, those things are, as a job, those things are great. And those things, we define ourselves as those things sometimes, but the reality is primarily we are a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. This is what God has called us to do. But the reality is this can't be unintentional. It has to be intentional. We have to go and make disciples. We have to go and share the gospel. And so for some of you, like for you who are parents, like your kids are part of that process. Like your kids are these uh, 
these little people that you can mold and shape and show the love of Jesus to every day and disciple. Here we say, you are the primary disciple maker of your kid. If you are dropping your kids off here to be discipled by us, and that's it, it's not, it's not going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be good. But you at home can show them who Jesus is, and you don't have to know all the things. You don't have to have a seminary degree or know everything in the Bible. You just have to open up God's word together and say, here is what Jesus says. So start there. Right, in our, and this is so pivotal, this is so important for us. In our student ministry, um, we have about 30 to 35 students um, in our student ministry, and then we have about 12, uh, 12 to 13 adult leaders, um, which if you've been around any other churches, you might think that's a high number of adults to students, because it is. Uh, but we do that on purpose, because we want our leaders to actually get to know our students, actually be people in their lives that can say, oh yeah, like they can talk about their jobs, they can talk about what God is doing in their lives and show the love of Jesus to them regularly. And so here's my call to us. My hope and my call is to both engage in being discipled, find those people in your life that you're like, man, this person loves Jesus, I just want to spend time with them. I want them to point me towards Jesus and tell them that, hey, I want you to point me towards Jesus in this way. And then find people in your life. If there are people that know Jesus already, say, hey, I want to help you walk in this. Maybe you've been married for a while and you've known Jesus for a while and it's a new married uh, couple, a new married person that you're like, hey, can I, can I walk with you in this? Because I know, I know, beginning of marriage, it's difficult, it's rough. And there's some dumb things that I did. Can I show you what Jesus has for you in this? That's my call to us. That's my hope for us. And, and the thing I want us to think about is, man, what would happen if we, all, if we all gave ourselves fully to being discipled by Jesus and to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? What could God do in Davis County? What could God do? Because right now, people are making on religion. But that's not what God calls us into. He calls us into relationship with him. That's my hope for us. Let me pray for us to that end. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you uh, that you call us into something greater than um, than even just you know just give us your word and kind of walk away, God. And you call us into a relationship with you um, that is personal, but it's not private. That God, none of us we're follow of Jesus. We like you call us into something where we're not alone. I pray, I pray that you would help us, for followers of Jesus in the room, I pray, you'd help us to see those around us um, who just need, need someone who's going to show them Jesus again and again and again. And again, not that we would act perfect, because we're not. We need Jesus just as much as they do. But that we would be a people who constantly step into other people's lives and constantly... Um, constantly show people who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's called us into and he's called us into something greater than we could imagine. God, would you help us in that? We love you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name.